Welcome to Teacher Quit Talk. I'm Miss Redacted. And I'm Mrs. Frazzled. Every week we explore the teacher exodus to find out what, if anything, could get these educators back in the classroom. We've all had our moments where we thought, what the hell am I doing here? From burnout to bureaucracy to soul-sucking stressors and creative dead ends. From recognizing when it was time to go to navigating feelings of guilt and regret afterwards, we're here to cut out the gaslighting and get real about what it means to leave teaching. We've got insights from former teachers from all over the country who have seen it all. So get ready to be disturbed. Join us on Teacher Quit talk to laugh through the pain of the U.S. education system. We'll see you there. Hi, I'm Frances Callier. And I'm Angela V. Shelton. And we're Frangela. You know what you need in your life? Hmm. The Final Word Podcast. Yes, you do. That's right. It is the final word on all things political and pop cultural. Where we make real news real funny. Where we inspire you so you can hashtag resist. Subscribe and get a new episode of the Final Word Podcast each week. It's the news we think you need to hear. That's right. We think you need to hear it. Okay? Yeah, it's what we say so. That's right. And because all we do is give, every Thursday you can listen to our hysterical podcast, Idiot of the Week. We round up the stupid because you know what? Somebody has to. Okay. All we do is give. Prevail. C'est Geneva programme pro politico. L'histoire, la sécurité nationale. Crimen organisado, dinero sucio. Global corruption. Tabrotbu za demokratiu. Y ahora, ATP. Et maintenant, con ustedes, su anfitrión, I'm Greg Oliar. This is Prevail. Welcome to the program. We've got a great show. Arthur Snell is here. Of course, he's been here before. Arthur is the longtime British diplomat. He's now retired from the Foreign Service and works as the managing director at Orbis Business Intelligence. He has a podcast called Doomsday Watch, which um, it's kind of a grim title, but it's a really great look at what's going on around the world in these places where there is conflict or potential trouble. He interviews a bunch of experts in these areas, and uh, it's, it's really a good way to find out what's going on. One of my favorite podcasts, I encourage you, if you don't listen to it already, to subscribe to that. And he has a new book called How Britain Broke the World, where he kind of goes through various points starting in 1997 in Kosovo, and each chapter is a different moment in history that uh, Britain, in his viewing, kind of could have done things differently and how everything contributed to the mess we're now in. But... I wanted to have Arthur on because, my God, things are going wacky across the pond, and I needed him to come here and explain to us what's going on, what's the deal with Liz Truss, why was the pound cratering a week ago, et cetera, et cetera. I'm recording this a bit earlier than usual. It's uh, it's the 4th. It's Tuesday morning, 10-4, here in the States, 4-10, everywhere else. Makes more sense to do it 4-10, doesn't it? I don't know why we do it the way that we do it. Anyway... I'm recording a little bit earlier than usual this week. If anything happens between Tuesday and Friday, I apologize. I'll get to it next time or possibly on the 5-8. As you're listening to this, I am en route back from Washington, D.C., where I spent the last couple of days. I haven't been there in a long time. wanted to go back and soak up all the, uh, the great Georgetown kind of culture and vibe. And you know, I wanted to talk to a few people, see what was going on. I haven't been back there for quite some time. I was going to go to my college reunion and it was in May of 2020. So of course that got canceled because of the pandemic and I never made it back. And it's already like, it's almost, you know, we're heading on 2023 and I feel the need as a, as an American citizen and someone who spent three years of my life down there, I felt the need to go back to DC and sort of recharge. So anyway, I'm driving back as you're listening to this, as I'm speaking, I haven't been there yet. So hopefully everything goes according to plan interview with Arthur is terrific. I don't want to waste too much time up front prattling, especially since I've prattled enough this past week and it's still early enough that that no major news has dropped other than I guess Dr. Oz likes to kill animals, but, but nothing about that guy surprises me. Look, he 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 refused to give up his his uh citizenship in Turkey and uh, Erdogan is bad. That's all you really need to know about this guy and the fact that the polling is so close with Fetterman is ridiculous. And guy doesn't even live in Pennsylvania, people. He doesn't care about you. He he's he just wants power. It's a naked power grab. This is a bad uh, actor 
um, literally a bad actor because he's, he's terrible at, at pretending to be a politician. Um, vote for Fetterman, for God's sake, and not, not the foreign national with close ties to the Erdogan government who, uh, you know, doesn't even live in Pennsylvania. All right, enough prattle. We'll be right back with Arthur Snell. Got room for one more if you still want to go to Aspen. You didn't know. Where did you find that? After a woman leaves a briefcase at the airport terminal, I don't know what's in that. A dim-witted limo driver, delicious meat, and his even more dim-witted friend, I'm not eating that. Set out on a cross-country road trip to Aspen. In the movie, they catch up to him half mile down the road and slit his throat. <laughs> Along the way, the limo driver realizes his friend is a serial killer. Netflix presents a new film by the Farrelly Brothers, Dumb and Dahmer. Now streaming. Some kid back in town. Arthur Snell, welcome back to Prevail. It's great to be back, Greg. How are you? I I am well. How, how's your summer been? You've been busy. I know that. But uh, have you had, had any fun at all and done anything interesting? Yeah. And in, in fact, I, I came to North America, but not not to your great country. I was in Canada for a couple of weeks on a lovely family vacation and, uh, you know, this and that. And, you know, it's um, yeah, it's been good. OK, that's good because you've been busy. I mean, you have a book out, uh, How Britain yeah. Broke the World. We're going to talk about that uh, later on in the podcast. Um, yeah. It's very good. I'm going to encourage people to read it again. Uh, we'll talk about you. it later on. You've been doing your Doomsday Watch uh, podcast, yeah. which is excellent because I think originally and and still it's conceived as this sort of uh, serialized thing where it's it's planned interviews and it's this. And yeah. now since the war broke out in Ukraine, you've been doing these war dispatches, which are super valuable. So I hope um, people listening subscribe to that. Uh, I'll put all the no all, all the links and stuff in, into the show notes. But I wanted Thank to have you. you on because like <laughs> stuff's getting weird over there, and uh, <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> I, I, like, we really need to we need to get to the bottom of this. Yeah, um, what so, the hell is going on? <laughs> well, let's start here. Okay, so you've got yourself a new monarch, King right. Char Charles the Third. Okay, that is correct. the The choice of name suggests perhaps an ignorance of history because things didn't go so great for the first two guys named Charles. Uh, I joked he should have called himself Ethelred the Second because he could have been Ethelred the Ready rather than the Unready because he's been waiting for this job right, right. his whole life. So yeah, as opposed to the un that's good. Yeah, but also as being called being called Arthur. I mean, there was some rumor. That he might choose to be called King Arthur, which obviously I would have been very happy about, but no, it didn't happen. I think the we Monty wait, Python. You know, the, the, right. Well, that maybe Monty <laughs> Python killed that story, but there is supposed to be this kind of legend um, that King Arthur is sleeping in a cave and he's going to come back when Britain is in its direst moment. And you know, I I feel that we might be in our direst moment. You know, this this might be right right now. We need King Arthur, but anyway. I think I think, and you you instead you have Charles the Third. Now I, I don't want I don't want to dwell on this too long, but the Queen obviously was extremely popular, great yes. source of national pride. Charles, yes. maybe not so much. Where do you see this going? Is this going to be the impetus to break up this monarchy finally, or is it is is something else going to happen? But what do you think yeah. is going to happen with this? Well, it's a great question. I think for the first at least a year and maybe a bit more, I'm sure everyone will kind of rally around. It's a bit like the honeymoon with a new president. I mean, obviously, no one voted for this guy, but there is there's some similarity in that that the media will give them a a, a a quiet time and talk about all the good things they've done. And to be fair to King Charles, um, and I'm not heavy monarchist. I'm, I'm not I'm not a kind of full on Republican, but um, uh, he's done some good things with his with his time. He's he's done sort of youth development charities and 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 he's he's championed this sort of environmental cause even before it was a, a big deal. So he's not, you know, there, there, there's the other bit of the story about his first marriage and um, how he treated Diana and how all the time he was going on with with Camilla, who's now his wife. 
So, you know, it's a mixed story. But I think I think for the first few years, he's going to be fine. But I do think that he is fundamentally, he seems to be quite a brittle character, quite prickly. There's a few videos that have already gone viral of yeah. him kind of losing his shit over really small things like the pen not working or something. And um, I think ultimately it's going to be hard for the British public to kind of love the, love him um, and in a way that they really did love the Queen. And so, yeah, it, it gives more impetus to the kind of long-term question about do we really want to do this with a hereditary, you know, a hereditary billionaire who, who runs our country for us. You know, it's quite a weird system. <laughs> Um, but then his, yeah. his eldest son William and 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 his family, you know, they're all. I think they're still pretty popular. So I I would I I'd, I'd hesitate to predict the end of the British monarchy anytime soon. Yeah, I don't think so. I don't think so either. Okay, so moving on to more important things, mm. you, you mentioned the the need for King Arthur to reappear here. Yes. Uh, Liz Truss, and I think last time you were on, we were. You, you said, no, Boris Johnson is going to be around for a long time, and now he's gone. That's Liz right. Truss has been prime minister, astonishingly, for less than a month, right? And she's presided <laughs> over the death of both the Queen and the economy. What's yeah. going on? Like, this I know. pound is in free fall. Should we be buying pounds for arbitrage purposes? First of all, what's happening? I mean, I don't understand. Okay. So so we have to start, start at the beginning that Liz Truss to, to become appointed prime minister, obviously we have a parliamentary system. It's not a directly elected head of government uh, in the way that you would have with a presidential system. So you, you are appointed prime minister by the monarch. So Liz Truss flew up to Scotland where the Queen was, was sort of finishing her summer vacation and shook hands with the Queen. And there was a little picture of that happening. And it looked charming. And within, I think, 24 hours, the Queen had died. Um, so we, who knows, you know... Have that impact on someone to be so boring <laughs> that uh, you you bring about the death of someone who's who's done that job for seventy years. That that in itself that that was what you might call a bad start. Um, but yeah. we, you know we get so so then then things were were the, the country was completely focused on the death of the queen and the funeral and the state mourning. And as you can imagine, there was no space for Liz Truss really. But so she didn't do anything bad. She didn't do anything good. She was just in the background and and we were focused on on that the solemn funeral and all the ceremony and then then was the big moment her first big moment of of um you know being prime minister um and and she 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 did uh well she an important person that we have to bring into this is her minister of finance or as we call it chancellor of the exchequer quasi quateng unusual name he's a guy of Ghanaian heritage uh, but born in britain uh, by all accounts, hugely intellectual. He was a um, professor at Cambridge University. Uh, he's been at Harvard. Every scholarship you could get, he's won those. He's got those scholarships. But um, I think he's an example of how sometimes the people with the highest IQs are some of the stupidest people you can ever meet. Um, and so, yeah. So, so uh, Truss and Quateng together, they they come from this kind of super small state um kind of right wing i suppose it's a bit like the kind of paul ryan wing of the republican party so they're not they're not like right wing in that trump way with the kind of white nationalism or anything like that but they're super right wing about the small state about cutting tax about cutting back public services and of course they they just had this sort of very narrow minded idea that if they announce that they're cutting loads of taxes even if they're borrowing to fund the cutting of the taxes, then the markets are just going to say, woohoo, this is brilliant. You know, we're, we're, um, the hedge fund guys are going to be happy. The bonuses are going up. Um, the bankers can make out. And, um, you know, that anyone who's on a low income, well, you know, the, the, the mar it's that kind of 1980s Gordon Gecko stuff that, you know, the, the, the Wall Street's going great and people on low incomes will find their way because the economy is humming away. It's a sort of classic kind of small state capitalist uh, outlook. Now, of course, the problem with that is you might be able to do that in the US where ultimately, you know, the dollar is still the sort of global reserve currency. Um, and you might be able to do that if there is not a global crisis driven by Vladimir Putin's invasion of Ukraine, energy prices sky high and all that. 
Um, but I think in particular, the bit where they said they were going to cut taxes and fund that by borrowing money, uh, that's where the market said, you know, this just doesn't add up anymore. And so the pound just started going through the floor. And um, perhaps more importantly, the, the, the borrowing costs, the, the UK bonds, government bonds, they they just started, um, you know, tanking. And ultimately, as as you will know, in in any um, any kind of sort of uh, secure Western uh, economy, G seven economy, if the government can't borrow, basically you you hit the wall. Yeah. Um, so that they managed in the space of sort of twenty four hours to go from being a uh, thinking that they were these, these kind of small state sort of uh you know right wing small state kind of reaganism but with with less less public borrowing and and they went from that to just looking like the sort of keystone cops you know they had no idea what they were doing and um and then things got worse because you've got the pound tanking uh the the the, the government borrowing is is going is sort of going out the window the pension funds are getting worried some of these pension funds thought they might go bust and obviously you know then you've got the retirement uh you know people's retirement packages screwed up and neither Liz Truss nor uh Kwarteng the the chancellor came, would say anything they disappeared it was as if they're both being kidnapped or taken hostage or something it was really weird and then finally the bank of england stepped in and of course um the the bank of england operates separately a bit like the Fed, federal reserve uh, and they basically stepped in and they spent 65 billion pounds, which is now basically 65 billion dollars. It used yeah. to be worth a lot more, but now we're basically one to one um, to stabilize the markets, to to, to basically to, to bail out some of these pension funds that were going to go bust. And then Liz Truss popped up on, and, and she did a series of radio interviews. And those interviews uh, will be used by uh, kind of media and journalism training courses for years to come as case studies of how not to do an interview <laughs> she she would she she would be asked a question and then you just hear this long silence to the point that you you check your radio like has it gone wrong have i lost the signal no no she's still there she just doesn't know what to say so she's managed in the space of of less than a month to go from being kind of somebody you don't know really who she is but she's been around on the political scene she's one of these ambitious young conservatives I mean, I'm not a conservative, but you think, well, she's probably, you know, she's she's like all the others. She's just somebody who's who's going on. To she's gone from that to being seen as someone who has absolutely no capability whatsoever to be prime minister. And so her her party was about ten days ago. They were sort of ten points behind, which is you know midterm. That's not impossible. You can come back from that. The election's not due till 2024. They're now 30 points behind in the polls. So they've had a 20-point collapse in, in the opinion polls in, in the space of like five days. So, yeah. And the problem is you we're, we're here now, you know, uh, speaking on the weekend. Um, there's still 18 months at least till the next election. And the Conservative Party are kind of saying, can we get rid of her? I mean, I know she's only been here for a month, but maybe we could just get rid of her. But under the rules that she's supposed to have at least a year before they change prime minister. So it's it's like everybody's sort of throwing throwing up, um, you know, sort of throwing their toys out of out of the the um, playpen and wondering how how they can survive with this unbelievably incompetent prime minister in, who's who's proved to be completely incapable in just four weeks. And you think she's going to be here for for 52 weeks more or you know 100 weeks and and you know in four weeks she she's shown that she can't do the job so that's kind of where we are right now i mean we know what it's like to have an incompetent president certainly you know somebody incompetent in charge we we had ours for four whole years although you know trump was competent in certain areas and i guess there were certain things that that were fail safes that, that prevented mm. him from doing uh whatever but a lot yeah. of i think a lot of that job um is just 
presenting as confident, especially with matters yeah. of the economy. At the end of the day, the economy is just yeah. a matter of faith, right? So you, you know, well, Winston right. Churchill was prime minister and and was the 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 antithesis of this. Uh, you know, just I even when when the going was tough, just presented as this very confident, very sure, you know, guy that you can right. kind of rally behind. She she seems to have none of <laughs> none of that at all. Nothing. But Nothing. what I don't understand is, you know, Boris for, you know, Boris Johnson, obviously terrible, but did have charisma and was able to talk yeah. and, and fake yeah. it, I guess. Um, yeah, I don't understand. Is there nobody there on the other side, on the labor side, that's that's good enough? Like, what can can you guys just run like David Beckham for prime minister? Like, can, can you do it? Like, why why can't you find somebody that or isn't a Hugh conservative? Grant? To... I mean, there's so many options. <laughs> yeah, I, I I'm half yeah. joking, but I'm serious. Like, why why isn't yeah. the opposition party stronger? I guess. Yeah. Well, I I think. I think that so so the current leader of Labour is a guy called Keir Starmer, and he uh, was the the sort of the equivalent of the head of the DOJ. So he was the, the sort of chief prosecutor of 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 the whole of of Britain, um, and he's got a very serious background as a lawyer, and and he worked both in private practice and and prosecuting you know big terrorism cases. So people people look at him and they see that he's a serious guy. But I guess he's a kind of a bit like John Kerry or someone like that. He comes across as a bit boring, a bit stiff, and people who like him respect him and they respect his public service and and his sort of character, but they don't see him as a kind of exciting, inspiring guy. But I think there's no debate now that that the, the Labour Party um is most likely, I mean, on the current polling, they, they will they'll there'll be a landslide, you know, they'll they'll win their next election. But what's weird about our system, and of course, it's very different being in a parliamentary system, is that in between elections, you can change prime minister without any any you know member of the public being consulted. So it's worth going back to the the story of you know why do we not have Boris Johnson anymore? So Boris Johnson basically he he in, a bit like Trump, he was consumed by his own bad habits. So he's he's a liar. He his his personal life is is chaotic. Uh, he doesn't. He, he never, you know, obeys any rules, uh, whether wh whether they are kind of national rules or ones specific to to the office that he held. Um, and ultimately, he lied about. They were all partying during the the coronavirus when we we're all supposed to be in lockdown, and he lied about that. And then more and more evidence came out, and then he appointed a guy who had a had a track record of um, of kind of you know basically sexual abuse allegations. Uh, he appointed him in a senior role as a party whip and then and said, I didn't know anything about this. And then it transpired. He knew all about this guy's background. So it was one of the, you know, the lies just kept coming on top of each other. And and eventually even Boris's own people just sort of said, we're done with this. But the point here is that when they decide to change prime minister, it's just inside the Conservative Party. So that Liz Truss were picked by the members of the Conservative Party, the card-carrying members. Now, in the UK, probably a bit like the Re Republican Party, the Conservative Party is aging white men. That's that's yeah. the basic demographic. So the people who picked her uh, were, you know, it, it's not it's not a democratic um, choice at all. It, it it's a it's a little group of people. It's a bit like a sort of primary, I guess, but a closed primary, not an open primary. Except that at the end of it. She gets to be prime minister. You know, it's a G7 country. We've got nuclear weapons. You know, she gets this position of huge power, having been chosen by, I think it's 80,000 old white men, basically. So it's a really weird, screwed up system. And I think one of the things that will come out of this turbulent period we're in is, is people saying, well, hang on, is, is it OK that you can switch prime minister without any kind of public democratic mandate? Because then the other thing that she's done she, she's come in as PM and she's basically said, well, we're tearing up the Boris Johnson policies and we're doing our own policies. Well, I think it's fair to say, well, what's your mandate for that? You know, who who voted for this? Uh, and the answer is, of course, nobody. And so the combination of her seeming to be incompetent, but also seeming to be um, taking the government in, you know, in this weird direction, which is all about the small state and cutting taxes, which, you know, on, on paper sounds quite nice. But if it causes the pound to tank, interest rates shooting up, you know, as as you might know, the the housing market in the UK, not unlike the US, a lot of people's 
wealth is completely bound up with housing. People often borrow very heavily, you know, have very big mortgages. Sure. So if the interest rate shifts just by a few points, people are going to the wall. And so all those kinds of factors have all happened in the last five, six days, you know, and, and it's the kind of the madness of, of the, the incompetence of this government that they, they didn't think any of this stuff through. And in fact, you know, just to illustrate this, there's this whole, um, a bit like the Congressional Budget Office, we have this thing, Office of Budget Responsibility, and it's supposed to, you know, vet any big finance bill. And Truss and, and her finance guy, Kwarteng, they said, oh, we, we don't need this, you know, and they literally, they cancelled the uh, OBR, the office, from, from assessing their finance bill, because they said, no, no, we, we don't need you guys to analyze it. Um, and on a kind of technicality, they were able to do that, although it's sort of arguably not, not legal, because there's supposed to be a mandate that they should do that. And so everyone's saying, well, hang on a minute, you were so sure of yourself that you didn't want any independent oversight of your of your budget. But when you issued your budget, you know, the currency collapsed and, and the mortgage rates went sky high. So they just they they look like completely chaotic amateurs who really should be nowhere near. You know, they shouldn't be running like a small town uh, council, let alone, you know, a fairly big country. Yeah, it doesn't you know what last time you were on, um, you mm. met, you made a point about the Iraq war in the United States and, yeah. and how we borrowed so heavily to pay for that war. And combine yeah. that with tax cuts, you know, the, the result of which I think it was a trillion in tax cuts and a trillion for the war. Right. So we're out. We're out a yeah. trillion. Dollars. And, uh, you know, again, the math doesn't add up. You don't you don't get rid of the revenue and then borrow. Nobody does. No. that. So you don't, you don't do no, it if you're a indeed. person. You don't do it if you're a government. I mean, if you have to, yeah. you do it, but not, you know, right. It's pretty basic and, stuff. And what's what's increasingly looking looking possible. And, and I've seen reporting just just before actually I came on this call. From the Sunday Times, you know, the very credible paper is that um, that Kwarteng, who the finance guy, so he, at one time he he was working as an analyst in a hedge fund. Um, this is several years back, but he's he's very connected in that world. Um, and of course, the hedge funds, the short sellers, they've done brilliantly in in the last week. You know, they they've made out like bandits, and um, it seems. That, that there's evidence that directly that that one that he had a meeting before he issued the budget, hinting at what his plans were. Mm. Uh, so obviously, you know, if if you're a trader, that's great. You've got that you've got the edge on the market. And then afterwards, literally the day the day he did it, when they still hadn't realised what it had been, he was at some private champagne party with all these hedge fund guys. So now people, were you just the kind of useful idiot? of of the you know the masters of the universe that the hedge fund guys who they don't care if, if you're going to make it easier for, easy for them to make a billion shorting a pound then you know that that's what they'll do so so it looks like it's not just incompetent but it might be a bit corrupt as well which is you know it's pretty depressing yeah that's not this is all a bad look i wanted to, i wanted to uh you're you're thank you for giving the uh the whole explanation about boris johnson as an american i want to say we think it's really cute that you guys got rid of him for having parties during covid <laughs> our, our our former president is is busy selling probably selling like classified yeah. information to the highest bidder at at his spy spy ridden uh shitty golf course in florida yeah. so it's you know and, and, and he tried for... to organize an, an insurrection. You, you'd think that that yeah. would that would be enough, wouldn't it? No, but anyway, no yeah. I don't know what would be enough at this point. I, I it's 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 crazy to me. But this, I was going to ask about that too, about this financial chaos. Because anytime something yeah. like this happens, sort of out of the blue, you have to ask, okay, why is this happening? What are the causes, and are there nefarious yeah. actors in place? I yeah. wondered if it has anything to do with what's happening in Ukraine, and not not only that, but the mobilization and the fact that Russia now. They're they're you know they're fucked basically, and I think yes. that the 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 economic factors working against them are going to continue to work badly against them, which means the oligarchs who have so much of their money tied up in London are they yeah. cashing out? Are is, are yeah. is this a bust up or is it just not just coincidental or is it a little well, above? Well, I think I wouldn't be surprised if there's a bit of of kind of you know the, the the sort of doom loop that a market gets into so i wouldn't i wouldn't be at all surprised if if some of these big oligarchs are, are pulling out but just because you know why for, for years you know london looked like a pretty good bet a lot of people made money in property a lot of the oligarchs as you know very well piled into london property super prime 
property which which has held its value and and you know it's a great tax hedge and you know no one asks any questions and you launder your wealth that way now i wouldn't be surprised if if there is a bit of that kind of bust up going on but i think to be honest i think a lot of this is actually is is closer to home sadly that you know britain has has had an oversized financial sector you know we're it's like the whole of our country is is sort of new new york state with with you know with a massive financial sector but without California and the tech people and all the farmers and all the rest of you know our, our whole economy is is overly skewed towards that right. financial sector and um that means these people are very powerful but what's what is definitely the case is that both trust and quarting uh they they're in that part of the kind of conservative movement that loves to be around the finance guys and and I think they've been played I think I think that that and a lot of these people are probably Brits, you know, they're not not patriotic, obviously, but they, they're, you know, people in the hedge fund and the banking world. I think they played them. And I think they they probably kind of encouraged them. Oh, yeah, you know, cut the taxes. You know, this is brilliant. You're, you're freeing up the animal spirits. It's all that kind of Ayn Rand stuff, you know. <laughs> uh, but ultimately, um, as it's like going back to it's like these people did can't remember. 2008 which after all is not that long ago you know we're talking people who are who are not not small children they can't remember that when we deregulated all of finance it ended up with almost the whole world economy grinding to a halt so what the merciful thing here is that it's only britain because the rest of the world is still has has remembered the lessons of that era but but it's like the brits are sort of saying no 2008 never happened you know that was never that was never a thing and we we we'll just plow on and and um in a way, maybe we're lucky that they got caught so early because yeah. they I I could imagine them spending the next two years piling on all kinds of crazy, you know, tr trying to make basically make make Britain the kind of the loosest regulated major economy. And then we could have had a crash, you know, when it was when it had got much more serious. But but speaking of the, you know, the mobilization and, and the escalation with the Ukraine war, I think one thing that is highly relevant is is and and maybe you know for for your listeners mostly in america um you know europe is very febrile at the moment that the energy prices the cost of heating your home obviously we're in, you know we're in october now winter's coming um is has gone up double triple you know through the roof basically and and there is a lot of nervousness and a lot of people i think that are are just you know that they're, they're so scared of what might happen that that there is there is always going to be the a, a tendency for people to say well maybe we just can't do this we have to do a deal with putin now i'm not suggesting that that's that's like coming from the uk at the moment and actually you're not france not germany you know the countries that you might expect to sort of give in are not doing that the italians they're actually holding firm but it's we don't know yet how bad the winter will be that's the problem and and basically, you know, Europe has has not completely gone off from buying Russian gas, but most Russian gas is not is no longer you know reaching Europe, and and that means it has to come from somewhere else, you know, and 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 that is that is complicated. So I think there is a lot of this kind of nervousness, volatility. You know, we're recording this on on the first of October. Putin gave that the speech a couple of days ago. Was it yesterday? I've lost all track of time. Sometime in the last two days. He looks terrible. Yeah. I mean, his, his head is all yeah. like, I mean, he, he's yeah. clearly not all there. And uh, I, I don't no. know, you know, we'll, no. we'll see. This is going to run Friday. Maybe, maybe it'll be a whole different world by the time it runs. <laughs> we should be, we should be so lucky. Um, yeah. you, you mentioned about uh, the, the brilliance of, uh, of uh, Quatang. How does he say his name? Quatang? Mm. Yeah, Quateng. Right? Yeah, Quateng. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I saw in some of your tweets, you seem to be trying to reconcile his brilliance with his you know yeah. obviously making yes yeah, so the yes so he and i are actually the same age and uh i um i attended oxford university and he attended cambridge university and i know people who knew him well people who knew him at school he's he went to eton college which you know is this famous very kind of elite uh high school and then then cambridge university and and there is this thing of you know why how can someone so clever be so stupid basically i mean it's sort of you know and and i think i think there is this issue of how um that kind of the arrogance of someone who most of their life literally from from kind of childhood 
has been told that they are brilliant. And, and they've always been in institutions that they are, they keep being told they're brilliant and they win prizes. And then they, from Cambridge, they go to Harvard and then maybe they go to Princeton or who knows. And sometimes people like that just stop listening. And and interestingly, I, I've been told now by two people who, who knew him both at school, but later as well, uh, that he's extremely lazy, but incredibly arrogant and also highly intelligent. And, and I think that's just this incredibly dangerous mixture because you end up sort of going off on a on on a sort of tangent you've decided in your own mind that this is a brilliant idea and and you don't need to i don't need anyone's advice on this you know because i know what i'm doing and i'm the cleverest guy in the room it's a bit like that 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 whole you know remember the enron movie the cleverest guys in the room yeah, yeah. and well we we know how that story ended they might have been i'm not you know questioning their intelligence but um you know it didn't end well no, I mean there's different kinds of intelligence too. I remember I, when I was in high school, um, there, were, there was a, a woman who was a classmate. We were going, we were at play rehearsal, and we went to this pizzeria, and there were eight of us, and yeah. we were going to go get slices of pizza. And uh, she got a 1600 on her SAT. She got a perfect score on her SATs. Yeah. She went to Harvard. She was obviously really yeah. smart. And it took me yeah. like 10 minutes to explain to her that it was cheaper for us to just order one pizza and split it than to get eight slices. Like she couldn't, it just, just couldn't, just couldn't you know, get that. Yeah, that she basic, was thinking too yeah. of two high things or something like that. I don't yeah. know. So I think there is that that kind of disconnect, yeah. and it's it you struggle with it. You're like, I don't, I don't get it. It doesn't make sense. But yeah. you know that that's how you know some people just it, it just works that way. Um, before we get to your book, which I which I yeah. want to spend the, the second part of the interview talking about, you mentioned in the book about dark money in British mm. politics. Um, yes. which wasn't something I knew about. So I wanted to ask you about that. How does dark money work? Because it seems like, like here in the United States, they, yeah. you know, people could just spend as much money as they want and no one will yeah. find out. And is yeah. it the same? Basically, that's right. So we don't, the structures are different. We don't have super PACs. Um, but what we do, have, we have a our own kind of toxic thing, which is the unincorporated association, which it sounds as dodgy as, 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 it, as it is. You know, it's it's a... If you and I, Greg, say we're we're an association now, uh, we don't we don't need to register, we we don't need articles, we don't you know we can just do it and give ourselves a name, and then we can start do donating money. And technically speaking, yes, we are not supposed, for example, to uh, donate uh, foreign money, so you know not Russian money. But if if I, as a British citizen, uh, am in receipt of a million pounds from a, a Russian oligarch, but then I donated it as, as, as Arthur, the British guy, basically that there's no, there's no system for looking into that, you know? And, um, and so dark money has played a role all the way. I mean, you know, we, we don't know how far back this goes, but just one, one case study, which is really interesting um, in the last few days of the Brexit referendum. And we know of course that Vladimir Putin was very, um, very enthusiastic about Brexit, um, a hugely expensive ad campaign uh, uh, hit the London newspapers. And it was one of those ones where you, you get your normal newspaper and then there's like a whole wrapper around it, which is paid mm. for by the advertisers and it's, it's promoting Brexit. Um, and, and some people uh, after the event looked into who had paid for this. And, and it was said that it was paid for by a, a Northern Irish political party now you think well hang on it's a london newspaper how come the northern irish party is paying for it and it's not a very big political party well here's the answer because uh back in back in the 1980s when there was a whole terrorist problem in northern ireland they they made it possible for political donors to be anonymous as a security thing because in at that time if people were were disclosing their identities as donors uh you know they might get targeted by by the IRA, but the law continues to this day. So some, uh, you know, someone donated, uh, I think it was like half a million pounds, which by American political standards is not very much, but in, in UK politics, that's a huge sum of money for, for fundraising. Uh, to this party, we never, we'll never know who that person was. And that party then spent it, not in Northern Ireland where they were campaigning, but in London. Mm. So, you know, that's that's dark money for you, you know, just just sort of laid out straight straight there. 
Yeah, that's they use the loophole. That's that's a well-intended yeah. loophole designed exactly. to help people yeah. and to protect people. And yeah. they, they abuse yeah. it. I hate that shit. Mm-hmm. Um, OK, I want to talk to you about your book. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Arthur Snell. Influencer. It's a word that gets tossed around a lot these days. But what exactly is an influencer? Well, there is a woman who went the distance, who went beyond the dazzle, who broke ground as the first true influencer by living a remarkable life. She had power, real power, and longevity influencing generations. Her name Elizabeth Taylor. I know she was loud. I know she was hysterically funny. I know she swore. But Elizabeth said how painfully shy she was. She went on perfume tours. And the places were mobbed just to see her. She was starting to try and take control of her life. But then tragedy and life kind of got in the way. I'm Katy Perry. And Elizabeth Taylor has fascinated, inspired, and influenced me as an artist, woman, and an advocate. This is the story of the original influencer. This is Elizabeth I. Okay, we're back with Arthur Snell. Your book is called How Britain Broke the World, which is a good title. I like the alliterative bruh, bruh there. It's very good. You're holding it up, but this isn't a video. I'm this holding it up. A- <laughs> nobody can see it but me um, no but i you know i just it's it's just I feels know. good it's it good no yeah. it's 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 a wonderful book and you you know written really well argued well and you're not some schmo you're not somebody that spent time just in the ivory tower you know thinking about things in in hypotheticals and in uh theoretical terms yeah You've been all over the world. You've been to Zimbabwe. You've been to Iraq. You've been to Afghanistan. You've been to Yemen. You've been to the Caribbean. Um, you've been to London working in, in in counterterrorism. You've been all over. You've seen a lot of stuff. You were, yeah. you were, you know, boots on the ground, so to speak, in very yeah. dangerous places for a long time. So you know what you're talking about. Um, one question you pose in the book early on is you say, why are so many things so bad at the moment? So yeah. I'm going to ask you your own question. Why are so many things so bad at the moment? Because everything seems really bad right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think this is a bit like a um, is the Agatha Christie story is the murder on the Orient Express. So the big spoiler, if anyone has doesn't t- turn off your sound now, because when you get to the end of the book, you find they all did it. So, it's, you know, there wasn't one murderer. They all did it. And it's kind of where where we're at now is that a lot of countries acting for different reasons contributed to the breakdown of kind of the international order. Now, and the reason I I start with that point is that what I don't want anyone to think is I am excusing Vladimir Putin or Xi Jinping or, you know, these kind of autocrats. But actually, the UK and and arguably the US as well have to take their responsibility. So one of the, the things that I identified was the way in which countries, particularly, you know, Western countries, NATO countries, the US, the UK, uh, they they tend to talk loudly about how they uphold the international order. And, you know, there's even that idea of the, the U.S. is a sort of global policeman, which sort of assumes that there's a law and, and somebody's applying the law. And the U.K. is often kind of in, in the slipstream there, sort of, you know, joining in with the U.S., committing its army or its intel services or whatever. And but then you have to say, OK, fine, but have you upheld it? Or do you just talk about upholding it? Because, and what you start to see is that even if you go back as far as the Kosovo uh, intervention, back, we're talking the era of Bill Clinton, Tony Blair, and, you know, guy, I respect both of them. I'm My own politics are, you know, with those guys on the kind of liberal left side, I guess. But they ultimately, and I think Blair in particular, was became the kind of architect of this. They sort of said, we know we're right. And, and we're right because we, we come from a political heritage that is uh, forward-looking and internationalist and liberal-minded. And therefore, we don't need the UN. We don't need the rules anymore. You know, the, the rules are for the other guys. We're just going to do this because we're right. But the problem with that argument is, of course, is that it makes it so easy for Vladimir Putin to say, hey, you, you ignored the UN. Well, why should I, you know, why should I take any notice of the UN? And so we've all sort of undermined 
that the architecture that was put together after World War II to try to keep the world secure. And, and I think that's the basic point, that this, this kind of structural architecture was there for everyone's benefit. Now, the counter-argument with that would be, well, okay, sure, but the Russians would do what the Russians would do. Well, I, I, there's some truth to that, but I think ultimately we just don't know. We, we, we have to go back to the moment in uh, 2003 when you know George W. Bush with Tony Blair and with a huge amount of support from the Brits, particularly on the Intel side, told the world that they had to invade Iraq because Iraq had WMD and this was a threat to global security. And Iraq did not have WMD. And ultimately, that moment of, of kind of destruction of trust, but also a destruction of the kind of global order, that you can invade a country uh, you can you can devastate a country. You know, I mean, Iraq to this day is is um, is chaotic. It's violent. It's ungovernable. It's corrupt. And it is that was done for for reasons that were 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 really um, you know just inadequate and and arguably illegal. You know that the that because ultimately, if you if you say, well, we're doing this to defend ourselves, the US and the UK, you know, we, we must invade Iraq in order to defend ourselves. Well, come on, there, there was, Iraq couldn't even defend its own land. How could it ever possibly have, have threatened um, America or, or Britain? So I think, I think that is the, the sort of, to go back to your question, well, why is everything so screwed up? Part of it is about that taking the rules and saying the rules aren't for us, the rules are for the other people. So that's one thing. And then I think the other thing that goes with that, and this is very, very uh, marked in the UK, is actually, it, it takes us back to what we were talking about in the first half with, with Liz Truss and this sort of chaotic, incompetent government, is that particularly on, on the right wing in politics, you've had people for whom winning elections has superseded every other factor. So, you know, in, in the modern Republican Party, you know, it, whatever you do, as long as you win an election, it's fine. And so you don't have values anymore. You, you, the rule of law is, is, is not, not important. Uh, the, 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 the kind of independent institutions, you know, judges uh, or, or other, other kind of guardrails of democracy, they're all, they're all out the window. And we've been doing this in the UK as well. Maybe not as much, you know, we, we happily have not had an insurrection, but we've had... We've had all kinds of other things where it's very clear that that, that government is is completely indifferent to the structures that exist to, to support, um, you know, adequate decision making. And what that does is it just makes governments more and more cynical, more and more ineffective, and 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 you end up with this kind of populist nightmare. And I think it has it has a sort of pandemic effect. You know, it spreads from country to country, and it's not all in one direction. You know, sometimes good guys win elections as you know as happened in in your country but but what it it's very easy to undermine the kind of global democratic standards and i think it's quite hard to build them back up yeah i think that's true i i forgot to mention as we were leading into your book the way that it's structured mm. which is that you go through um different places and different basically mistakes yeah. that you say that britain has made and uh, yeah. you were very diplomatic, saying that the U.S. didn't make any mistakes. We don't ever admit to making mistakes. But we we fuck stuff up all the time. And uh, and that the the Iraq business in in '03 with the the, the weapons of mass destruction. Yeah. I have this idea in my head now, and it it's interesting reading the part of your book about Kosovo because that's where you start in yeah. 1997 in Kosovo, uh, thinking about Tony Blair, and and the intentions that he had arguing against appeasement right yes it's interesting to me because i feel like he's almost 25 years early and that what yeah the the blair doctrine so-called applies perfectly to crimea in a way that yes. it did not apply to iraq the second time round. the first time in iraq and the gulf war yeah. you know they, they invaded kuwait you're not allowed yeah. to do that we send in troops we kick them out we're yeah. done Right. Because yeah. that's that's what we're trying to do. We're not trying yes. to overthrow the government. We're trying to get everybody to follow the rules. Yes. It seems like with Kosovo and especially after Iraq and Afghanistan, but particularly Iraq, everybody in the West's appetite for these things, for nation building and all of the expense and 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 politics mm. involved with it was so drained that Putin just waltzed into Crimea and nobody really was was willing to do anything about it. And now you know, it's 
what Churchill said about the appeaser is someone who yeah. feeds the crocodile, hoping he'll eat him last. Right. So yeah, uh, yeah. I, I just feel yeah. like Blair is just he, he was ahead of his time. Or am I wrong? Yeah. What do you think? No, I think that's a really, really good observation that actually um, it's such a good observation. I wish I'd put it in my book. But yeah, because in a weird way, you know, Blair, he talked about Kosovo, which is, you know, a, a very small place being threatened by a fairly small country, Serbia. And I, I'm not saying that to be dismissive. Of course, the, the individual rights of those people is is important. But in a way, he talked about Kosovo as if this was a sort of global struggle uh for 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 you know civilization and he and then and also he did that with iraq and and the thing about tony blair is he's an incredible communicator and again you know a very talented and in many ways impressive politician um but he you're right that he he should have been saying that about crimea in 2014 because that was the problem one and and actually one of the you know one of the ways in which you know we screwed up was that we we, the, certainly the US and the UK, but we became very obsessed with this issue of counterterrorism and nation building. And we ended up putting incredible resources into Iraq and Afghanistan, both of which ultimately have delivered pretty much nothing. Yeah. Um, and meanwhile, we didn't look at China and we didn't look at, at Russia. And, and um, you know, and China and Russia were both in their different ways, building up, uh, making their militaries stronger, becoming more aggressive. And and Russia, you know, it maybe Russia will kind of burn itself out because they've gone so far now. And, and as you mentioned, you know, Putin's crazy speech and then this weird fascistic rally in, in the, you know, in front of the Kremlin. Um, you, you kind of think this is this, this is a, you know, because you've got this fascistic rally, but actually split screen in the same places that Putin's signing that he's now ridiculously saying are now part of Russia, his army is is running, you know, running, yeah, and, yeah. and the Ukrainians are turning them over. So it's this madness of, it would be one thing if he'd kind of invaded like a blitzkrieg, the sort of Hitler style, and then he said, this is now part of Russia. I'm not saying it would be make it okay, but it would, that would be a, from a position of strategic strength. But he's doing it, and his army is losing the war. And so this seems to me that they're, they're, they're I, I'm not saying we know when it happens, but they're on a kind of steep uh, slide, you know, like a sort of toboggan run down, down, down into the pit, basically. Yeah, I don't know what's going to happen. I mean, I do know what's going to happen is it's going to happen when he when he leaves power one way or the other, yeah. because that's yeah. that's where it's headed. And I, I feel yeah. like at the very beginning of the war or the, the invasion, uh, Biden um, you know, we talked about NATO. I've said this on the podcast so many times. I don't want to, I don't want to repeat, and you know it. You know, NATO is responsible for the, the peacetime in Europe for you know seventy five yep. years, which yep. historically is such an anomaly. I don't think yeah. people realize it. We are so fortunate to be alive at this time in history to yes. not have wars. And you've got to go back to the second century, Antonius Pius, to have that much peace right. over that much of Europe for this yeah. amount of time. And, yeah. you know, Trump is in there just trying to destroy it and knock it yeah. over. And and uh, as soon as that happened, Biden basically reassembled NATO in about, uh, yeah. you know, the same time it took Liz Trust to destroy the British economy uh, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, to the point where even and even Boris Johnson, who was still prime minister at the time, was was eagerly, you know, signing up for it to his yeah. to his credit. Um, but the, the the point that he seemed to be making is, all right, we know what's going on. We're going to we're going to basically declare economic war because there's sanctions yes. and then there are sanctions. Yeah. But to my the way that I saw it was what they're doing there in Russia, it's slow, but it's going to be devastating when it, when it hits almost yes. like a, the flood, you know, it's in the movie Titanic where the water's coming up to the, yeah, and that's yeah. where Putin is right now. And maybe that's why his head's so big, I guess maybe he thinks it could float or something. I don't know. <laughs> uh. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's right. And, but I guess the other thing is that although, um, you know, from day to day, we can feel frustration because you'll hear a Ukrainian general or, or minister sort of saying, you know, we need guys, we need more weapons, we need more missiles. But actually, if you look at what we've supplied to Ukraine, um, if someone had proposed supplying that in February, everyone would say, oh, you're mad, you know, but what, what do you think you're doing? And so we've, we've, we've continued this sort of escalation and support. And, yeah. and, you know, Ukrainian soldiers have come to outside Ukraine to train so they can operate new weapon systems, more sophisticated, more advanced systems. 
Um, and we can see it's working, you know, the, 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 and, and this mobilization, I mean, I'm sure you've seen these videos of, of guys being told, you know, guys who've got basically no military experience being told you, you get a rusty rifle, that's it. You know, everything else, first aid, provisions, that's mm -hmm. your problem. And, and then you, you just get sent to a front line where you're, you're being just taken apart by the Ukrainians who are better trained, better equipped, and of course, amazingly motivated. I mean, it, you've, you've got a, somebody who doesn't want to be there who's just been conscripted versus someone who's fighting um, with, you know, to, to, to secure their, their own homeland. Um, and that is where it just, it, I hesitate to write off the Russians because, you know, they do ultimately, they, with indifference to human casualties, both their own and the other side, you don't know that they can't win, but I think it looks very unlikely now. And that, that is, uh, if you're Putin at that point, I think you just don't know where you're going because the one thing is that at, at the point when the war is lost, uh, his days are are very very numbered. If if he is in in fact still president at that moment, yeah, I I think that I mean the smart play for them as a country is to you know get rid of him, blame him, yeah. and uh, and then reset, and then they they can yeah. spend six months pretending that everything's changed and get right uh, back to the right. fuckery like they've been doing for the last yeah, yeah, yeah. since I've because been terrible. You're absolutely you know? right, and if if they do that. You know, within a year, they can all be stealing money and buying yachts again, which is all they really want. Yeah. And they just don't need to invade, invade countries. You know, you Russia has all this mineral wealth and all this, you know, obviously the world's largest country by area. Um, and and the, the sad truth is that the rest of the world will probably let them do that stuff as long as they don't, you know, threaten major sovereign countries ar around their periphery. And, and that's that's the craziness of it. But but the Putins that continue doubling down and and the, the the mad sort of fascism of this last bit where where you just with a stroke of a pen take a huge it's a huge area of land you know it's like the size of several states of the United States or whatever um, and and to really I mean they nobody can really think that it's going to work that I mean maybe Putin himself does maybe he's so so you know but it's it's more like that. The, the the gambler who's on a losing streak and just yeah. keeps piling in and then they use their credit card and then they ring their friend and they borrow money you know and it's just like you keep throwing stuff on the table but you know the the, the house always wins right <laughs> there's nothing the, the guys they're sending now in this mobilization are old and drunk and it does not look like it's it's, it's yeah. and and we're making fun of it and I'm laughing but it's it's a, it's a, obviously it's a terrible tragedy for everybody yes. involved it's it's horrible yes. for the ukrainians it's horrible for these people that are just yes. you know one minute they're doing what they're doing the next minute they're you know in donbass getting shot at and uh yeah. you know and hung over probably like it's it's yeah. bad so um you know i don't mean to make light of it but you know i yeah. i just hope this guy that the, the russians are going to have to get rid of him you know one way or the other yeah. and i hope that they do it sooner rather than later um Here's a quote from your book that I really liked and that I want to ask you about it. And then and okay. then uh, I've got two more things for you. Um, a, this is your this is a quote from your book. A lot of the bad stuff happening right now is happening because of Britain. Britain talks self-centeredly of punching above our weight, strangely stimulated by the idea that its virility depends partly on its ability to be disproportionately powerful. But it doesn't seem very interested in whether it is punching the right people in the right places or whether it should be punching at all. That's really good. That's a great paragraph. Um, well, thank you. Yeah. So I guess my question, my follow-up question to that is, what should Britain be doing? How do you see, like, right now, as you said, there's a lot of bad stuff happening, but I could also see yeah. the light behind it. Like, there's a yeah. world in which Putin is gone and Iran, there, you know, there, there's a, a revolution there and Khomeini yeah. is gone. And yeah. uh, there's all this like really positive upheaval. And here in the United States, we get rid of all this MAGA bullshit all in the same like really small space of time. Yeah, that's that's it definitely a possibility. And yet there's also the possibility that the fascists are going to take us and, yeah. and also the yeah. global. So what should we be doing, especially the governments of uh, of Britain and the United States and, and, and people in the West? Like where, what's the best case scenario? Yeah. What do you advise? Yeah. Well, what I my my view. So starting with Britain and, and you know, the one thing one of Britain's problems is that it it's uh, and, it, and of course, it, this is famously it was your secretary of state, Dean Acheson. Was he in the 
just after World War II, said that Britain has lost an empire and not found a role. And that's, you know, that was 70 years ago, but we're, we're still going around this same circle. And and frankly, it's ridiculous, you know, and the whole Brexit thing was the illustration of that, that, that we decided that, you know, we are a European country because you, that's where the map is. You know, you can't, <laughs> just because you're an island, you can't move around, you know, you are still in Europe. And, um, but Brexit was was British, uh, the right wing in Britain, believing that they were too big for Europe. You know, that the, they they didn't need to deal with places like Belgium or the Hungary or Romania or whatever. It's like we're we're in the big league. You know, we we only deal with the US and Canada and China and whatever. And and that you know the the boring truth is that for for Britain obviously, you know, we need to support NATO and we have, and, and actually our track record there is pretty good. But actually, whether or not we're in the EU, we have to be very, very integrated with Europe because ultimately, if Europe is going to be strong and secure, it's not just about NATO, it's also about having a strong economy, an economy that, for example, is not dependent on Russian gas, is not dependent on laundering Russian money, which we, you know, as our, our yeah. financial institutions started to be. Um, and actually, then we have to accept as a country, as Britain, that we will work with other European countries in order to improve all of our security, both economic and, and kind of military strategic. And that's something that for, for a long time, uh, British governments have deluded themselves that they can do the military thing. You can be full in on NATO. But, oh, no, that economic stuff, you know, no, no we're, we're not in with that, that we don't do that. And that's just it's just delusional. So so I think I think that's one thing. And actually, the more we cooperate with European countries, the better. Now, the problem with this argument is that at the moment, arguing about Brexit in Britain is is sort of like, I don't know, arguing about expanding the Supreme Court or something. It's like it's a fascinating argument, but there isn't really any realistic way that that gets done. So in terms of reversing Brexit, so I think rather than and, and I say this in a book, I, I'm not going to try to advocate that we reverse Brexit. What we need to do is just have the best relationship we can have with Europe if we're not in the EU. And that there are lots of ways that we could do that. And, and hopefully that will happen. And turn, turning to the US, though, I mean, I do think that the the tragedy of of what's happened with with the sort of MAGA movement is that that. You know, some of those if 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 you know 15, 20 years ago, you took a sort of conservative national security Republican guy, perhaps he'd served in the military, and he said that and you'd said 20 years from now, your party will have people who actively support Russia in a war against one of your country's allies, and and you know, believe that there's a deep state conspiracy, you know, to undermine America run out of the FBI. You know, th these guys would look at you and say, no, no, come on, that don't be ridiculous. Yeah. It's, uh, that's that's the left. That's not us. And and it seems to me that that America needs to kind of rediscover its its national sense of purpose. I mean, you know, I I hesitate to tell Americans because you know no one wants to be told what to do by some limey. But it's <laughs> like, you know, what what on earth is going on where where people who would probably be profoundly offended if you said you're not a patriot and yet they're, they're constantly kind of undermining their own country and, and and going down these weird rabbit holes about the deep state and and you know all this bullshit and and um and it just feels as if you know there is as you say the pathway is there you you make nato strong you 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 see off putin you you you're not going to see off China, but you you can contain them, and you can you can demonstrate that, for example, you'll support Taiwan, come what may, you know. So you you have these clear red lines, but you know I I hear loads of people in in Europe saying, well, Putin is hoping that he can get to 2024, and then a Republican's in the White House. Amazing that that the the Russian hope is that there'll be a Republican president. You know who who thought that that would be. Uh, yeah. where where we'd end up, you know, in the 21st century. Yeah, no, you make a good point. I mean, I when I started covering all this stuff in 2016, late 2016, yeah. I really thought that, oh my God, when these Republicans find out that Trump is this in yeah. with Russia, they're going to lose their minds. Yeah, know, yeah, yeah. You know, and they'll, they'll kick him out or they'll they'll do, you know, 20, what is it, 25th Amendment or something, you know. Something. I, I just, I yeah. couldn't, I, I just assumed as a given that the party of Reagan right. Didn't like the, you yeah. know, recognize Russia as uh, that constituted as the enemy, and I was wrong. You know, I was naive. I, I did not know that the yeah. entire party 
had been co-opted and it's been you know there are people that have been co-opted we have we have yeah. senators that went to yeah. on the 4th of July to Moscow and then came back and have been mouthpieces yeah. for Putin since they got back incredible um to the point where i wrote and i wrote something about it in in december of 2019 saying this is what's going to happen it's like a sleeper cell these guys are going to talk more and more and then that's exactly yeah. what happened like it's it's not yeah. hard to find i'm not yeah. I'm not trained in this stuff. I'm I'm a novelist, yeah. you know, but but it's easy to see. It's it's just it's yeah. very blatant. So um I do hope that you know what's happening now in the country that the, the this business of Trump stealing the the documents and and I mean he he wasn't you know stealing them to just have them in his file cabinet. No. If he stole them, he was looking to monetize them and yeah, uh, everything with that guy is about a deal, isn't it? I mean, yeah. you know. The, so it, it's not just because he's he's fascinated in history and likes to sit, sit there perusing no. documents. I mean, yeah, he's not a reader, you know. No, I, don't think, I think we no, can in fact, in fact, there I are questions about can. whether he in fact can he read. You know, does he <laughs> does he have that skill? <laughs> he's I, not well, you know. I mean, that's no. that's for sure. And I I don't think he spent a lot of time. To, and then like the Saudis were at that lived golf tournament like two weeks before yeah. this all happened. The whole thing is nuts. But, you know, again, I think that the country is under this weird hypnotic spell that I'm waiting for us yeah. all to kind of wake up from. And we may, I think we're gonna, I'm hopeful that we're gonna, but yeah, if we didn't, I, I don't know, you know, uh, maybe we'll, we're gonna have to go somewhere else. I don't know. We'll, we'll figure it out. But I, I think that, uh, I don't know, I wrote years ago, if the Republic is going to fall, it isn't going to be because of this guy. And I I no. I stand by that. You know, it's not yeah, going to be no. Trump is not going to kill us. It's 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 no it's no. Not. He's he's not smart enough, is he? But yeah. I guess that then you get into those the ones like is it DeSantis or you know some of these people who are they combine the sort of Trump politics with a much smarter and more um, ruthless you know approach basically. Yeah, I'm not as afraid of DeSantis because he's such a buffoon. I don't think he has right. the. The charisma that Trump has, I'm I'm more afraid of maybe Christy Noem of South Dakota, you know, somebody oh, yeah. that's kind of pretty that they can, uh, you know, like, yes. like in Italy, like with the, you know, yep. oh, it's, it's uh, last night fascist Barbie here. Uh, yeah, yeah, it is basically fascist Barbie, isn't it? And yeah. and it's weird. There's a lot of that. You switch on Fox News, and there's all these kind of very presentable people. They sort of they look nice, but they say terrifying things, and yeah. there's this weird sort of cognitive dissonance. Yeah, I think it's you know it's in, it's intentional, but uh, yeah, well, 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 you'll have to come back on at some point after after Putin falls. So maybe you know next right. week. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So your book is called also, How Britain. But, <laughs> Go ahead. We're, 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 we we get a new prime minister here right roughly once a month. So you know I'm I'm always happy to come back <laughs> update you. <laughs> Prime Minister Beckham, we'll, we'll be excited for that. Yes. Um, your book is called How Britain Broke the World. Um, again, it's it's really good. I encourage people to go check it out. Um, I learned a lot from reading it, and it's you know it's written very well. It, it breezes by. It's a good it's a good read. Um, you know, congratulations on that. I hope it I hope it's Thank successful you. for you. Again, Doomsday Watch season two is starting. Uh, I think next week. Uh, uh, the, the 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 sort of programmed episodes. Yes. So please go yes. and download that. And you are on Twitter at Snell Arthur, right? Did I get it Correct. right? It's, it's reversed. Okay, so um, excellent. Arthur Snell, thanks so much for taking the time. Great to see you. Thanks for having me. The Prevail theme song is by Matthew Fossa. Zarina Zabriskie, Marie Kost, and Martha Akuna provided the introduction in Ukrainian, French, and Spanish, respectively. Voice talent is by Stephanie St. John, Tally Briggs, Michelle Cantor, and me. Thanks to Allison Gill, Molly Hockey, Kenai Williams, and everyone else at MSW Media. Please subscribe to the Prevail Substack with updates every Tuesday, Friday, and Sunday. Your $5 monthly subscription funds the column and the podcast. Visit gregoliar.com to learn more. Thanks for listening. Drive safely. Don't forget to tip your server. And until next time, we shall prevail.